Okay, so imagine for a moment with me uh, that, you know, the little newsletter that gets tossed on your driveway for your neighborhood uh, lands, and you open it up, you begin to read and look at it, and inside there's an article that says, there has been a proliferation of robberies, of thefts inside of our community, that for some reason there's just a rash, we think maybe there's some young people or something going on, but multiple, multiple houses have been broken into, people have just lost tons and tons of uh, stuff around the house, and uh, we just want to make you aware. And in that moment, chances are you and I would respond. You, you and I would go, well, hey, I mean, I, I don't know that I've been that great about locking my doors, but I mean, right now, I mean, if I know that I'm in imminent danger of the idea of maybe being, I'm going to lock all my, I'm going to double check all my doors. Matter of fact, that alarm system that's been in my house since I bought it and I never called and actually got it hooked up to the service, I'm, I'm calling right now. I, I, going over to my neighbor and saying, hey, I don't, I don't know you, but would you watch my house? And, uh, you know, I'll watch yours. And the only reasonable thing in a moment like that, when you realize that you're potentially in danger, that thieves are out there and could come and invade, I mean, you, you'd respond in the moment. Which makes it all the more interesting that as you and I encounter Scripture, Scripture says there's a thief who's looking for an opportunity in your and my life to invade our life and to wreak destruction. And that Scripture would say it's not a matter of if he's going to come, it's not a matter of uh, maybe he'll pass me by, but Scripture would say, no, 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 the, the moment is coming. It is unavoidable. And you and I will be in our lives embroiled in what Scripture would call spiritual warfare, that you and I will do battle with the enemy, that Satan will show up and suddenly what has seemed to be life at normal will suddenly go to a whole different level. Things will absolutely escalate. And if you and I are not prepared for that moment, you and I will face destruction. We kind of pass the moment out. We kind of think, well, <laughs> no, I get, I get it. I get that Satan's out there. But I mean, isn't Satan really just going after bad people? You know, I mean, it, isn't it really just kind of maybe people that are involved in the occult or people who do really, really bad? I mean, those are the people doing spiritual warfare, right? I mean, as long as I'm good, as long as, long as I am, you know, kind of obey what I'm supposed to do and follow, I mean, God followers, you know, people that are living right, they, they don't do spiritual warfare, right? An interesting thing is that the Scripture would say just the opposite, that the closer you follow, the more serious you get about your faith, the more likely that the enemy will take notice and that you and I will be involved in spiritual conflict. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Job because there's just such an encounter that goes on there. If you're not familiar, if you take your Bible and if you'll open it up right to the middle, chances are you're going to land on the book of Psalms. And if you do, go left. You're going to find this book of Job. Some of us thought it was the book of Job, and we've been reading it recently, but it's not. It's the book of Job. Let me give you some background. Uh, the book of Job is the story of a man by the name of Job, and what the opening chapter tells us real clearly is this is a guy that was sold out. I mean, this guy is living the way that he ought to live. He's following God with all of his heart, and the interesting part is, is that he's doing this in the midst of incredible success. 
Uh, he's probably the richest man in the entire area. He's got more camels. He's got more goats. He's got all sorts of uh, great children. And in the midst of his success, he has still kept his eyes on God. He hasn't, you know, become self-centered and said, well, you know, this is me and I was smart in my business transaction. He's, he's given the glory. He's given the praise. He's kept his eyes where his eyes belong. And in the midst of this, Satan says, well, then that's the guy I want to trip. I mean, if I can blow up his life, I mean, because everybody's watching, everybody knows what's going on. I mean, if I can get him to turn from God, well, I, I would make huge inroads. I mean, this, this would not only devastate Job, not only it would devastate tons of others. And so Job then inadvertently, because of his walk, becomes a target. So here's the story. It's uh, Job chapter 1. <clears throat> Starting in verse 6, and here's what it says. It says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan... Now, you get why this makes sense, because Satan is a fallen angel. Then Satan also came with them, and the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch forth your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, get the moment. It's, it's an interesting thing is that basically God says, hey, I've got this man, his name's Job, and I mean, he's living righteously. He's, I mean, he's an unbelievable example of what faith ought to be like. And, and Satan says, well, sure he is. I mean, you've been so good to him. I mean, everything he touches turns out right. Why wouldn't he follow you? God, you're, you're simply the magic genie in his life. I mean, why wouldn't he obey you? It's never cost him anything. Now, the interesting part is, is that Satan then says, you've placed a hedge about him, which gives you and I the indication that says, apparently there are rules. In other words, God says, look, as you go to tempt people, as you go to cause trial and conflict and confusion, there is, there is only so far, Satan, that I will allow you to go. And then you're done. There's a hedge. There's a line in the sand, and, and Satan, you won't cross that. Now, here's what you got to get in the moment. Satan's already been working in the life of Job. Satan's already been trying to trip him up. You ready? Job has already experienced spiritual warfare. But what Satan says in this moment, he says, you give me a little more ground, you give me a little more, you remove that hedge and let me do something a little bigger, a little more substantial. I'll get him. He'll curse you to your face, God. And in this moment, God says... Okay, we'll let you try. I, I think you're exactly wrong, Satan. I think the story's going to turn, but we'll let you try. <clears throat> Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if you read further in the first chapter of Job, you find out that Satan literally goes, I mean, he... He wipes everything out that has ever been success, has ever been profitable in the life of Job. Soldier, one of his servants comes and says, soldiers have invaded. They've wiped out your herds. They've taken whatever they did not kill off. 
your children were in a tent and they were having a feast and the winds came and the tent fell down on top of them. They all died. Job, everything that you've loved has been taken from you in a day. You get that uh, serving God, being a testimony for Him, making ground for Him may actually, you ready, expose you to more warfare. You, you, you suddenly hit the enemy's radar and, they say, and, and the enemy says, I can't afford a Christian like that walking around. I've got to do something about their faith to get them because if I can derail them, I'll blow up tons of Christians who don't have near the faith, near the testimony, near the strength. You know, it's interesting around our church because in the last two and a half, three years, you and I have probably taken more ground for the kingdom than I've ever, I've never been around a church that's experienced the life change that we've experienced in this room, that's seen as many people who hadn't figured out God in their lives make first-time decisions for Christ, move from religion to relationship. I haven't seen so many Christians go, I didn't understand my Bible, I didn't get it, I didn't know how to live for Jesus, and, and become just absolutely on fire, sold out followers of Christ. But you get that in those moments when you and I are taking ground, that the enemy says, I can't afford a church like that, I can't let that happen. And I will tell you also that in the last two and a half years, I've never experienced more spiritual warfare than what we've probably experienced around here. You guys know the whole Kate McRae story. I mean, here's a little baby girl of one of our staff members, brain tumor. We've got another staff member who this last year gave birth to a stillborn baby. Uh, you guys know the financial stuff and what's gone on, and I get, I get, I get, I get that that's nationwide. A pretty effective way to slow things down around here. This last... In the last two and a half years, my mother's been diagnosed with cancer. One of my deepest, deepest friends betrayed, and some of you are aware, about two years ago we, had, we realized that someone on our staff was embezzling to the tune of about $500,000. And oh, by the way, it just happened to get revealed, just happened to come to light in the middle of the biggest sermon series we'd ever done. We had 2,000 visitors in the room for a series called Bringing Sexy Back. And in the middle of that series, just by coincidence, her embezzlement came to light. See, truth be told, I, I don't know that I've had a season in my life in which I've done more spiritual warfare than what we've done. Why? Because when you take ground for God... The enemy notices. And the truth be told, if you're sitting in here this morning and you go, Len, I just don't think I've ever experienced spiritual warfare. I don't know that I've ever had that happen in my life. Then you need to know that it's possible that you've never moved enough spiritually. You've never taken enough ground for the kingdom. It's just possible that the enemy ever really noticed. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are going, well... Lynn, I mean, if that's the way it works, I mean, if you're telling me if I really sell out to the Lord, if I really get on fire, if I really start getting my Christian life together, that that means I'll do spiritual warfare, I got that answer. I'll just be average. I just won't do anything spiritually. I'll blend in with the crowd and hope he doesn't notice. Remember, Satan was already going after Job. See, the truth is Satan's already been working to destroy your faith, to get into your life, to bring you to shipwreck. 
And the truth is, he will not be satisfied until you're ruined. See, you may not have known it, but you probably already are involved in spiritual warfare. Now, someone's going, well, wait, how do you know? I mean, how, how do you know if it's spiritual warfare? I mean, how do you know if it's the enemy or if it's just life going on? So here's the thing. You get that a spanking is not spiritual warfare. You get that, right? You get, you get that if you've been put over God's knee because you've been disobedient and you're not behaving the way you should and you're getting a spanking, that's, that's not spiritual warfare. That's God applying the hand, of under, the hand of knowledge to the seat of your understanding. That's all that is. And, and you get that if you've lived recklessly and now you're kind of getting the fruits of reckless behavior, that's not spiritual warfare. See, if you can look back and go, oh, I, 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 yeah, I know, I can see the events that lead up to this moment of crisis in my life. I've been dumb. That's not spiritual warfare. If you're driving down the road and all of a sudden your tire goes flat and you're standing there on the side of the highway going, I, I don't know how to pay for this. But the reason you don't know how to pay for it is because you've got $30,000 worth of consumer debt and you've got 26% interest on charge cards that are maxed to the hilt. That's not spiritual warfare. That's just dumb. But there will come a moment. There will come a moment in which you say, look, look, look I, don't, I don't have any place in my life that I know that I've been disobedient. I know, I mean, I, I just can't even figure out how this would be a spanking because I just don't know anything worth being spanked over in my life right now. I think I've done exactly what my Lord has asked me to do, and I think I'm okay. And, and, and I, I'm not looking back over my shoulder and seeing recklessness that's brought me to this moment, and yet for some reason, all of a sudden, the stakes are different. All of a sudden, the heat has been turned up in my life, and it just it doesn't add up in, on human sense here. And what is that? And what you need to know is there's a possibility that that's the enemy. That when you got that pink slip and you got laid off and you went, well, this, 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 this is, I, I get it. I get the economy. I understand what's going on. But I've got so much tenure here. And there are people with far less tenure still employed. And I've been a great employee. I mean, there's, my work record is off the hook. How in the world did I get on that list at this point? You find yourself in, in a financial moment, which is go. I mean, it's just like I'm getting blasted. I mean, this isn't about being, this is just about, I mean, medical bills and housing stuff. I mean, this is just stuff coming at me from every, it has nothing to do with being reckless. This is just, I'm just getting pounded. Maybe you've got a lifelong temptation and you go, man, I, I've struggled with this area of sin in my life. I mean, all my life, an area of pride or an area of gossip or lust, whatever it is. But all of a sudden the stakes go up. All of a sudden you find yourself going, oh, I mean, man, my temptation quotient in this area, I mean, it went from here to hear. And in that moment, what you need to capture is there, is, is there is a real possibility you're dealing with the enemy, that you're embroiled in that moment in Mr. Spiritual. And if you don't identify it, if you don't in that moment realize what's happening, instead you'll go, hey, God, wait, 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 wait. This is so unfair. My layoff, how, my finances look like, how can that be? God, what did it happen? What is this? And if you don't identify it and understand that that's a moment in which the enemy is coming against and trying to wreck and ruin your faith, and you begin to blame it on God, there's a chance in that moment you'll simply say, if this is what it means to follow God, 
no thanks. And in that moment, the enemy wins, right? In that moment, he accomplishes exactly what he set out to accomplish for you and me. And your and my faith ends up shipwrecked in our testimony in the gutter because we didn't realize who was at work and what he was doing in the moment. So the question comes, what do you do? What do you do if, if all of a sudden you find yourself and the stakes have gone up? I mean, think, just like in the story of Job, the hedge seems to be moved and all of a sudden you're going, wow, this is, this is different than life is normal. I, I believe there's a chance that I'm in a spiritual... Con- I believe I may be under attack in this moment. What do you do? How do you respond in that moment? Grab your Bibles. Go almost to the back. Matter of fact, if you get to all the colorful pictures, then you've gone too far. Turn around. First uh, Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what it says. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And by implication of the passage, who's he looking for? Those who aren't alert. Those who think it'll never happen to me, it can't possibly be the enemy... Those who've gotten sucked into a sense of security and, and, and unknowingly go, I, I have no idea what's going on in my life. And he pounces. When you and I walk through our life as if the enemy cannot attack, when you and I are lulled into a place of complacency spiritually on this topic, you get that makes you and me a slow-moving target. When life begins to fall apart and you and I can't diagnose and go, you know what, I've got to, I, this may be the enemy. And we're left to only blame God. It makes you and I susceptible in our lives. And so scripture comes back and says, no, 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 no. You need to understand that there's an enemy who's looking for any advantage. He's looking for any opportunity. And when the stakes go higher, when all the sudden things change, you need, to, you need to at least run through the scream, hey, I haven't been disobedient, I haven't been reckless. Maybe, just maybe, this is the enemy. Be on alert. Let me help. Being on alert changes everything because then what happens is the moment you see even the beginning of the when you even sense it, you automatically go, oh, no, 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 I saw you coming. I know exactly what this, no, thank you, go home. I know the moment. You're not going to shipwreck me. You're not going to confuse Thank you. I see you there. I've got a dear friend. Some of you guys would know him. He was actually on staff here at the church for a little while. Worked with our youth group. His name is Chris Haydit. Chris Haydit was actually a kid in my youth group 100 years ago, along with Moses. And uh, as, as Chris was growing up as a kid, uh, him and his mom were sitting in the living room one night, and one of those scary shows comes on. And uh, they, the lights were down low, and you, you know how that goes in the music. Chris, being the instigator that he was, uh, feigned getting up and going to the kitchen for something to eat. Well, time goes by, and the music's getting louder. All that's going on in the movie, and 
Mom goes, Chris, hey, Chris. No, Chris. Lights are dark. She goes walking into the kitchen, Chris. And Chris, who had been lurking and waiting, leapt out from the darkness. Mom's, ah! Mom, being the kind, gentle sort that she was, sought revenge. She waited. She waited just long enough for Chris to go, I mean, I, I guess mom's not going to pay me back. I guess nothing's coming. And then the day came. She waited until it was time for Chris to get off the bus and come home from school, and she hid herself within a closet there in the living room, barely breathing. It was interesting because it took a while for Chris to get home that day. He'd stopped and talked to friends. To hear her tell it later, she'd been in the closet 35, 40 minutes waiting. Chris got in the house, walks through the house, hey, mom, 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 no mom, sits down to watch TV, kind of sitting there with his eyes nodding down just a little bit, and at just the perfect, at just the right instant, mom, coming out of the closet, Chris is, history tells it that Chris, never mind, anyways, it, Let's just say it was a great story. They went back and forth for the next three months, hiding on each other. I mean, it, was, it got weird. I mean, it was stuff like, I know he carries out the trash in the morning, so they were hiding in the trash dumpster, waiting for the next one. You know when it finally wore out? You know when it finally just became not fun anymore? When they finally realized, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Mom could jump out at any minute. Chris, Chris could be behind any door. And they walked through their house on alert. Because what began to happen was all of a sudden Chris would go, no, Mom, I see you back there. Come out from under the bed. And I'll hi, Chris, 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 no, 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 I heard you on the roof. Okay, come on down. You get that's exactly what Scripture just said to you and me. Says, guys, guys, don't want to make you paranoid about this. Don't want to get you thinking there's a devil in every rock. That's not what we're talking about. But just simply don't be so naive to think that it's never going to happen, that the enemy isn't looking for that moment of advantage, so that when that moment comes, when it's there and when it's legitimate, when it's real, you can go, oh, no, no, no. I get exactly what's happening right here. I get the moment. This isn't life as usual. This isn't a consequence for something stupid I've done. This is the enemy. And because I know what you and because I know what you're trying to do, no thanks. Be on the alert, Scripture says. Please, please, please tell me as Christians that you and I are not going to walk through our lives with our head in the sand believing that Satan will never come and never try you'll get caught unaware. Go back to the passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Get this. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. 
Resist him standing firm. And you get what I'm saying? So look, when that moment comes, you want to be on good footing. You don't want to get caught off balance in that moment. It's interesting that in the time that this is written, every soldier would have understood this moment and what was being said. You, you want your, firm, your feet firmly planted, and better yet than that, if you're truly going to have to do battle, do battle from high ground. Don't ever, don't ever get caught lower than the enemy. Don't ever give that tactical advantage. Here, here's what would happen. If you're going to sword fight, if you're going to clash, with, if they get higher ground, if they take that advantage, you realize they've got gravity working for them, which means that every blow they go to do takes less effort because now they're bringing the blade down and gravity's helping. Every blow they make moves faster, and every blow they make has more substance behind it. But try to fight that enemy from lower ground. You could be equally matched. You could have the same amount of skill. You could have the same amount of strength. But fight from lower ground. You realize that every time you lift your sword now, you're fighting against not only your enemy, but against gravity. Which means you work that much harder to make the blow. And it means that every time you move your sword, it goes that much slower and wears you out that much more. And every good soldier would knew, never, 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 Encounter the enemy and find yourself on lower ground. Always, always go into battle tactically from the high ground. You go, well, okay, good, you know, firm. What's that got to do with this? You realize how many Christians live their lives constantly at lower ground? That, 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 that we live our lives in a place of vulnerability and in a place of exposure that if the enemy were to come now, I'd be tactically undone. You say, well, Lynn, you know, what does that look like? Well, I mean, what, what, is, what do you mean when you say Christians sometimes live their lives from... How many Christians do you know who live with known disobedience in their lives? In which they go, no, 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 I get it. I get that that's not what God would want me to do. And I get that that completely violates Scripture. And here, here, it just doesn't make sense to me. Remember we talked about that? It doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to obey it. I mean, when, when God finally explains it in a way that I like, then maybe I'd consider obeying. But no, I'm right now, no. That's a dumb verse. Love your neighbor, pfft, dumb verse. And in that moment of disobedience, you realize you and I just put ourselves on low ground. Because the moment the enemy comes, he gets to leverage that disobedience. He gets to leverage that accusation. And more than that, guys, you realize that disobedience distances me from the protection of Jesus. You, you get that it's like fighting a battle away from my support. Because disobedience at the end of the day is simply saying to God, God, I know where you're going. I know what you're doing. I know the trail you've asked me to walk on. I don't want to walk on that trail. I'm going to walk on my trail. I'm going to create, are you ready? Distance. And now I get ambushed. Now I get attacked in that moment and I'm not near the one who can help because I've knowingly distanced myself. That's just crazy. You get the tactical, you get the exposure that that moment brings. And I, you just need to hear me say, if, if you're here and you go, well, no, Lynn, I, I mean, I've got, I've got two or three places that I know I'm dis, 
you get the exposure. You get that if the enemy moves right now, you're in trouble. Well, what does it what does it mean to get back to higher ground? Obey. Come back to the moment that says, I get that that was disobedience, I get that that was moving, and I just don't want to be that far away from you. I want to be ready in the center of your will. If I'm going to get in a sword fight, I want you in a sword fight with me. I don't want to be out there by myself on low ground. I've told this story before, so if you've heard it before, I'm sorry. But I'm a preacher, which means I get to tell every story ten times. Okay, so it's, it's a good story. I got a friend. And uh, years ago, he was out doing paintball. Uh, some guys from his church had invited him. I believe they had invited him merely to watch him suffer in pain. But he had unknowingly agreed to go out and do paint. Have you done paintballing? This is brutal. I mean, it leaves dents on your body and bruises, and it's just, it's brutal. And if you ever get the invitation, the answer is no, okay? Um, but anyways, my friend uh, went and uh, he gets there, and he has no idea. I mean, you know, he, the, the gear doesn't fit, and it looks awkward. They hand him this little pistol, which is what they do to newbies. You hand him the little pistol that goes, and the pink ball does that. You can tell the guys who do this all the time, because they, they are decked out. I mean, they, they are covered with, like, body armor stuff, and their gun is, like, the size of a small child and has this big feeder on top that, like, lets thousands of bullets every second go in. And then there's this dial on the side where you can turn up the air so that your uh, paintball moves insanely fast and causes massive damage on the other end. So they're standing there waiting for the uh, game to start the first scrimmage in paintball, and my friend is standing next to one of the pro guys, I mean, one of the insane guys. And this guy turns to my friend, Dave, and says to Dave, first time? Dave goes, yeah, uh, how'd you know? <laughs> and, and, and in grace and mercy, the pro guy looks at him and says, you know what, uh, just stick with me. Just, just hang with me, I'll, I'll show you the ropes. To which my friend did, says, well, that's pretty cool. So they get out, the whistle blows, and everything starts, and if you've ever done paintball, what you know is, is the object is you kind of kill off the enemy, you shoot him, and they have to leave the game, and then when you whittle the other side down enough, you, you go to the other end, they've got a flag there, you, you grab the flag, and then you've got to bring the flag back to your side without being shot. They're about four minutes into the game, there's still a whole bunch of enemy guys out there. When the pro guy turns to Dave and says, uh, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to say now, you're going to jump up, you're going to run through the open field. This will cause all of the other team to raise up out of their hiding places to shoot at you. When they do that, I will shoot them and kill them. My friend looks at him and says, is there another plan? <laughs> to which the pro guy says, go! And sure enough, my friend Dave jumps up, starts running through the open field, and there are guys popping up from plate, and you've never seen so many guys popping up, and they're all bearing down on my friend. Pro guy, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. By the time Dave got to the other end of the field, everybody was dead. My friend got to the flag, went, <laughs> walked all the way back. It's second round time. 
they're choosing up teams again. They get to my friend Dave, they say, what team do you want to be on? He says, I don't care as long as I'm with him. <laughs> you get the moment, right? When the enemy comes, you don't want to be alone. You don't want to be separated from him. See, the proper response is, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I just want to be with him when battle comes. What does it mean to stand on solid ground? I think it means you better know your Bible before the battle comes. I, I, I think one of the most dangerous things that you could possibly do is finally to get yourself in spiritual conflict, to have a moment when the enemy is leveraging, the enemy's saying, look, if God loved you, are you kidding me? He's going to let that happen? If God's really there, would you have lost your job? Really? How can a Christian have cancer? I mean, you've been obedient. You've... I was counseling a gal a couple years ago, and her daughter had died. And in the midst of us spending time together, she looked at me and just with absolute honesty in the moment said to me, I'm having to rethink everything about my Christian faith. I get it. I, I, I get, you get it too, don't you? But don't you equally get that that's the wrong time to be figuring out what you believe about God? See, you, you, you and I need to know that before the battle. See, you, you and I need to say, no, 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 no. I already believe in a God who's in control. So when my job gets laid off, when things go south, I already know that answer. I may not understand the moment, but I believe that my God is bigger than, stronger than, smarter than the moment, and I'm not trying to figure that out from low ground. I'm not wrestling my faith and my belief in the midst of crisis. I already know what I believe about my God. And how do you do that? You know Scripture. And you've heard us over and over and over and over again in this series say the most powerful weapon you and I have, scriptural knowledge. Matter of fact, and we're not going to go there, but in Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the whole armor of God, and some of us are familiar with that passage, every bit of armor in Ephesians chapter 6, defensive, except one, the sword. And scripture says the sword, the one offensive weapon that you and I have in the midst of spiritual conflict, Scripture. Which leaves you and I with an interesting question. If Satan were to attack today, based on your knowledge of Scripture, would you find yourself on low ground? Because you already know what you believe and you've already made your decisions about who God is and how God behaves and whether or not He's faithful and whether or not He keeps His promises. Or would you find yourself on high ground? Because you go, no, 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 I already know my answer. I've already settled that in my faith. You get the moment. The question this morning is not, will you come under spiritual attack? The question is, will you be on high ground or low ground when it does? Let's have prayer. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do.
just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you for a moment of honesty. What, what, if, what if today, what if today was the day that Satan decided you're the target, it's your life he wants to do? What if today he came? Would you be on high ground or low ground? Would you have a place of disobedience in your life, a sin of preference that you've kept there and you've just said, God, you can have the rest of me, you just can't have that? It would place you on low ground. It would place you distanced from Jesus. Would you have already figured out your faith? Would you have already embraced and poured so much Scripture into you and yourself into so much Scripture that if Satan were to come and attack, you'd say, no, 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 I've already made my decisions about God up. And I, and, and I don't care what my circumstances say. I still believe God is smarter than me, bigger than me, stronger than me, and his plans are better than my plans, and that's not even up for debate. And if your answer to either of them is, I'm not sure, then can I just say to you in love, there's a thief, and he's coming, and you will do battle. And the outcome may be determined before he even shows up. Dear Lord Jesus, we simply come to you. And God, we're not going to live in naivety. We're not going to sit around saying it'll never happen to me. The truth is, God, we all, we all will do time fighting the enemy. And God, may we find ourselves on high ground. May we find ourselves so sure of our faith, so obedient in our walk, that the enemy is at a disadvantage when he attacks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.